0: Welcome back to It's Called Soccer, the show where we talk about everything happening in the American soccer landscape. I'm Jake Landau in the Philadelphia area, as always joined by Thomas Godin. Tom, I know you were the 12th man out of 100,000 people in State College the other night at Penn State as they lost to Michigan. Sorry about that. How are you doing, man? Other than the loss. I'm doing pretty good. I'm pretty exhausted after that
1: game yesterday. It was a I was in the student section. I'm not normally there these days, and it's a lot to stand on your feet for four hours in the cold and scream your head off at 27. You're years getting old. old. I'm getting too old for this. <laughs> Need to move away from the student section. But it was it was a good time, a good game despite the loss. Um, exhausted with work, I discovered a new neutron star a couple weeks ago, and you know, really exciting Humble stuff. Prank humble brag you know casually discovered this this new source um and now i'm reading a couple of papers to describe it and you know announce the results and so it's been it's been a busy couple of weeks for me here in state college but it's been fun i can't complain how's life
0: amazing life is good i hope that you can take your neutron star math to the u.s soccer team and tell us why <laughs> uh, the u.s is going to be turning out to tobago 17 to nothing and qualify for the copa america next summer So let's get into it. Let's talk a little bit about the roster today. We're going to go through, uh, you mentioned to me pre-show, which I'm very interested to hear about, um, something about the roster selection and the way that Greg Berhalter is constructing his roster very differently from the first Greg Berhalter. Now we're in Greg Berhalter's second term. Um, So I'm excited to hear what you have to say about the construction of these rosters. I also want to mention the center backs and what the pairing is going to be because that seems like a position for me where like there's no set winner uh there's no set center back for the us that is just like over and above everybody else in the pool where i feel like for all of the other positions we kind of have that set mandated person that is playing at that premium level so we'll definitely cover it there greg berhalter also talked in the press conference after the roster release how there were three other center backs that he was considering calling in that was the toughest decision for him And he mentioned one John Brooks by name in the press conference. So um, we'll, we'll look into what that actually means. And the fact that Greg Berhalter in U.S. soccer is acknowledging that John Brooks exists, I think, speaks volumes for where he is in the depth chart. We'll preview the games against Trinidad and Tobago. This is a team, I mean, the U.S. qualifying for a major tournament, insert whatever major tournament you want here playing against Trinidad and Tobago. How bad could it go? pretty badly if it's 2018 and we're looking at the world cup it's a new team though 2023 we're looking at qualifying for the copa america and tom defending our nation's league which by the way we are two-time back-to-back winners of uh if i do say so myself we started this podcast if you'll recall in 2021 and the u.s essentially didn't lose a tournament competitively until they went to the world cup the Nations League was part of that. Um, so you can all thank us, me and Tom for our Nations League success. So let's get into it, Tom. Um, talk to me a little bit about this roster construction and the way that you're seeing Greg Berhalter evolve, or maybe, maybe evolve isn't the right word if it's not positive. I don't know what you have to say it. Um, but at least I... what is he changing from Greg Berhalter one to Greg Berhalter two?
1: I feel like this Greg Berhalter has a lot more of an established idea of what his depth chart is. And I think we can get into what that depth chart looks like for him and how our views might differ. But the the depth chart is very clear. We have seen, what, maybe 30 total players called up over three windows. There's one new name on this roster, and that's Paxton Aronson. Everyone else has already been called in one of the last two windows. Well, you go back to 2019, 2020, 2021, it seemed like we were calling in like 100 players a year, if not more. I'm giving, you know, you know 60 to 100 players new caps and that's just not the Burhalter we're seeing anymore it feels like Burhalter has used the lessons he learned from the first cycle to trim down the size of the pool to a much more like streamlined group i don't know if you feel the same way but every every single time i look at this roster i feel like it's like okay cool we know who his guys are right now like that this is the team
0: yeah and paxton aronson actually i think he was called in with bj callahan like the window right after the world cup, after Greg Baralter had left the team because his contract ran out. So Paxton is even then, like even if he hasn't been part of the 30 that Greg called in, he has been with the U S camp since the World cup happened last, uh, last winter. So that is interesting. You talk about that because I don't know necessarily, I'm curious to hear what you have to say about this. I don't necessarily know if this is a Greg Baralter thing, or if this is like a consolidation of talent for the U S where, Um, maybe our center backs aren't a good example but it does seem like the the pack is kind of running away with their positions and within the depth chart at least like we know um, if we had a healthy midfield to be Tyler Adams West McKinney and maybe Yunus Musa maybe Gio Reyna like depending on how Greg wants to play but we kind of know who our best 11 is who our best 15 are who the subs would be depending on the situation like it just feels like we have a more solidified situation with each position, and kind of like who's the next up. Do you do you agree with that? I feel like we do. I feel like you're
1: seeing that play out, even in, like in club situations in Europe. They're just very obvious guys who are playing better than everyone else at their positions, and even like the MLS contingent. Like, there's not been as many like standout kids who feel like they're knocking on the door to sort of get their chance. Like, you know, with Pulisic and Wea going down this window. You would think that this would be the window you know call up some kid who's killing it in mls at the wing but kate gal had a horrific season and there's not been really any other names that have jumped out as me as like we need to see them right now Or like we thought taylor booth was knocking on the door of being a regular and he's been terrible this year so it opens the doors for this pack to kind of run away so yeah it feels like the group who is sort of getting called in is the group that just it's it's obvious you could hardly construct a roster without this group
0: so yeah i i I feel like that's a good shout miles robinson is the only mls player on this roster actually and he's one of the players where you could make it an argument that mark mckenzie or uh john brooks or austin trustee maybe deserve a spot over him um so it does feel like that consolidation of power into the the 23 that are being called in you also mentioned the wingers like the three injured players that presumably would make this roster that are not with the team right now are Christian Pulisic, Timothy Weah, and Tyler Adams. So there's two wingers that we could essentially bring in extra, which is why you mentioned Cade Cowell. I would argue that the next winger that we should bring in is Luca Koliosho, who's yes. uh, eligible for three different uh, nations, the U.S., Canada, and Italy. He's playing at Burnley for Vincent Company. I think we've reached the point now where the next best player in some position is probably not the best player of their age in major league soccer. It's actually Gagalas, like Gagas Lenina at UPenn, uh-huh. who's gonna be the third goalkeeper. It's Luca Coleosho who um is we're probably trying to call him up to be fair. Like Greg yeah, Walter I- did say again in the press conference, you know, he's in constant contact with him. We'll see what happens. But yeah, it feels like the next best thing in each position is now like the who's on the fringes in Europe rather than who's the best of the bunch in Major League Soccer.
1: Yeah, I feel like if you're calling someone from MLS, you're trying to give them a chance to impress to go abroad at this point. And I feel like the MLS playoffs are doing that well enough for almost everyone except, you know, Miles Robinson's an exception to that because I feel like he's the only one who's going to walk in and starting. A, he, he's, he's gone. <laughs> he's effectively gone. <laughs> And also, he's the only one who's going to walk into the starting 11 of wherever he goes. Like, he's he's going to start in Europe somewhere in a month. It's just a question of where and what caliber team wants him. So, you give him the national team windows basically showcase what he can do against higher level competition.
0: Although I I will say in the game that Atlanta United won at home against Columbus, he did get beat by a really nice first touch by Columbus, but Miles Robinson was at fault for that goal. Great. Yes. But you notice that Cucho Hernandez is about to throw a fit by the end of
1: the game because he was getting locked down the whole second half. Miles had yeah. a pretty good game with one notable blunder, so he, he wallpapers over a lot of issues for that team. I think that that's, that's the problem
0: of... with defenders, right? It's yeah. like if you make one one mistake in the game, but you have a lockdown eighty nine minutes, <laughs> I, you know, a random podcaster is going to call out that one mistake. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> You no, know, I've, I've spent all year, like, screaming about how awful their midfield is. And I think that the numbers show that they're, like, plus 1.5 goals against better when Miles Robinson's on the field than without. So, like, there's a lot. He gets beat occasionally because, you know, the midfield gets cooked in front of him and he, you know, has to make a huge play and can't. But most of the time, it's him putting out fires for the horrific midfield that they put in front of him. So, I, I, I watch a lot of Atlanta and I'm really
0: opinionated on Miles Robinson compared to most. <laughs> I mean, I would trust that opinion, and I did watch the game. You know, Atlanta pretty much had the upper hand for a lot of that game. Real quick, Tom, before we go to the rest of the roster, I want your uh, opinion on tonight's game, the deciding rubber match between Columbus Crew at home, taking on Atlanta United. Who wins that one? i It's hard to, you know, I would love to say Atlanta,
1: but it's hard to bet against Columbus Crew at home this year where they've basically been unbeatable, so... I we'll see how they do. I you know, if they win the game, it's gonna be Miyamba having a really good game in the midfield. It's gonna be Almada cooking and, you know, playing well in transition. It's gonna be Robinson shutting down Kujo Hernandez, and it's gonna be Yakimakis scoring goals. So if that doesn't happen, then Columbus runs away with it, but there's a path, so we'll see. It's good
0: entertainment. I I did not like the best of three idea, but you know, when it comes to the third game, and you want to see good, entertaining soccer. I think it's going to do that for a lot of these matches. But, uh, Tom, so we we talked about Gagos Slanina being the third goalkeeper. The other two that round out that position are Matt Turner and Ethan Horvath, both at Nottingham Forest. Matt Turner is now kind of on that second string bench. He hasn't started for Nottingham Forest for the last two games, although Forest did get beat 3-2 today by West Ham. I went into the stats and uh, the Forest keeper... That took Matt Turner's place. He gave up three goals on 1.3 expected G's. So it's looking up for Matt Turner and all the U.S. fans for him getting back into the lineup. But let's talk about the center backs. So the, we're bringing four center backs with us. It's Tim Ream, Chris Richards, Miles Robinson, and Cameron Carter-Vickers from Celtic. The three that Greg Berhalter mentioned in the press conference that he was, you know, this was a difficult position to decide on this roster for. There were lots of people that deserved the call-up. The other three were Austin Trusty, who has been starting at Sheffield United over the last few games. There is Mark McKenzie, who has been playing incredibly well for Genk in Belgium and Europe. And then there's John Brooks, Johnny Brooks, who has been on the outs, and everyone thinks that this is, you know, there's something personal between John Brooks and Greg Berhalter, John Brooks has not been mentioned by U.S. soccer Greg Berhalter for the last two years, I would say, Um, going so far as to not be included on some of the weekend rosters that U.S. soccer releases before each weekend of club matches. So, Tom, what did you take from who we're bringing with the center back core and then the three that Greg Berhalter mentioned as kind of being on the last three out of this roster? I, you know, I kind of... Feel like Austin Trusty is the name that's next
1: up in line. You know, Brooks, I've well known, not sort of, I've been pretty vocal in the past on so not really seeing what Brooks brings to the pool right now, especially with how good Tim Ream has been. I feel like if Tim Ream starts to drop off, then you maybe start looking at Brooks as being
0: the we heir only need to that one 57 year old. <laughs> yeah, the team. exactly.
1: You need a guy who's old and kind of slow and hits a really good pass, but Tim Ream kind of fills that void right now and play a little bit higher level. Um, I feel like John Brooks is a guy you have to basically build your whole scheme around. He's just got such he's got he's really a good center back with one glaring liability and that's the slowest dirt. Um and if you have him step up, you have to basically have the whole team defend for him while he gets back in position. So personally I would rather scheme around other players who I think are better players in other areas of the field rather than have to, you know, rely on John Brooks scheme around John Brooks to protect him. So personally for me, he's on the outs just because of that glaring weakness in his game. But, you know, I think Austin Trusty is a name that is really interesting going forward. You know, starting for Sheffield United now, he's a left footed, left center back. It's a pretty rare combination. He's playing in the Premier League. It just really feels like his rise means he should probably be start to get more looks with the national team and probably start to
0: earn minutes for him. He has one of the weirdest roads to the national team and to professional football that I've seen in a long time. I mean, Philadelphia Union to Colorado Rapids to being a a chess piece slash poker chip for the Cronkies to sell to Arsenal who loaned him to Birmingham City. He's the player of the year in the championship at Birmingham City. And now he's at Sheffield United. He's won over the center back spot. There's been some injuries uh, there's been some red card suspensions, but um, man, w- what a what a world we live in. That Austin trustee over the last two years, has built himself a case to be one of these four that we bring. So, what is the case then? What is Greg Berhalter thinking about? Why bring Cameron Carter-Vickers, Chris Richards, Tim Ream, and Miles Robinson? Is it you know the way I see it is we want to play aggressive, we want to play a high line, especially against That's Trinidad that. and Tobago. We're probably not going to have a pure six. Like we don't necessarily need Johnny to be in that spot holding the the space between the defensive line and the midfield. So maybe Miles Robinson gives us a lot of speed and athleticism, the ability to stop counterattacks that way. Um, especially if we do play with Tim Ream, we're probably going to need someone to cover a lot of that space. Is that the thinking here, or why isn't Austin Trusty or Mark McKenzie with the team?
1: I, I don't know what Burhalter's thinking is. I feel like Burhalter is really high on Miles Robinson. Just just in general, has always been really high on Miles Robinson. If he wasn't hurt, I feel like Miles Robinson probably starts the World Cup for us. And I'm, especially with Richards having been out, I feel like Walker Zimmerman was always seen as like Miles Robinson light. And now that he's back, that just sort of seems to be the guy that Burhalter is going with. He's big. He's strong. He's athletic. He's ridiculously fast for a center back. Um And then Cameron Carter-Vickers feels like he's being groomed for, like, center-back leadership going forward. I I don't know if that's sort of fair to say, but, you know, he's played excellent for Celtic for the last few years. He's got World Cup experience. He's a player who's been at a lot of different places in Europe. It just sort of feels like Berhalter sort of likes what he brings. And then, you know, Reed and Richards are kind of obvious at this point. So, yeah, I... I think that that's what you see. Mackenzie um, hasn't been playing a whole lot lately. He's had a few matches on the bench. He's kind of seen a dip in form for Genk lately. Trusty is just sort of finding his footing, finding his form. Maybe you give him a few more months to solidify that position and then call him up in March. But, yeah, that's all I got right now.
0: And then we have Sergio Desta right back, and presumably Joe Scally is the backup there. Sergio Desta, interestingly enough, for PSV who are now 12-0 and 0 in the Dutch Divise, could potentially be Miles Robinson's next team by the way Dest um, has been mostly playing on the left side of the defense as a left back and a left wing back um, but presumably for the US because we have Jedi who can only play on the left Serginho will be on the right um, Joe Scali is going to be a backup to one of these two and then we have Christopher Lund who is returning to us uh, a Palermo player in the second division in Italy. He did really well with his time, I thought, in our recent exhibition matches. Um, so I'm excited to see him back. But, I mean, we have to think that Serginio Destin and Anthony Robinson are the starters on this team, right? Yeah, I think that Lund has kind of
1: solidified himself as the backup. I kind of have DeJuan Jones as maybe pushing for that backup spot, but it really just seems like Lund is. he loved in camp, a really great like guy, always smiling, has done really well in his minutes. It seems like it's his job to lose until, you know, at least after the Olympics when you start to see Caleb Wiley, uh, who I think is gone this winter too, from last on another uh, tangent, but um, maybe start to push him for that backup spot.
0: And I think Dwan Jones probably has a mark to make in Europe as well, although he's, yeah. I think he's 25 or 26 at this point. So yeah, this might he, be he's... one of the last times.
1: His window's closing, but I I do think that he could actually do it. He's looked great for years for New League Revolution, and I've liked seeing him play whenever he does get a U.S. call-up. So there's some names out there finally. This is the first time we actually have names at the left-back spot that I'm I'm actually not (laughs) terrified of.
0: (laughs) Yeah, where we're not saying maybe Serginho should play out of position or maybe (laughs) Joe Scalley should play out of position. Um, It is nice to have a natural left-back to back up Anthony Robinson. All right. Then going to the midfield, we have Leonard Maloney coming to his second camp from Heidenheim in Germany. And Johnny is presumably going to be the starting six. Although I don't necessarily even know if we play with the six in these games. We'll get to our starting 11s in a few minutes. Um, Like I said before, we're going to be playing against a team where we will have a lot of possession. I don't necessarily know if we'll want a center defensive midfielder that's a pure six to break up plays. We might want to play with a double pivot of maybe Eunice Moose and Weston McKinney with Gio Reyna in front of them. Uh, but we are bringing two center defensive midfielders, players that play a little bit deeper in Johnny Cardoso and uh, Leonard Maloney. Johnny is uh, rumored to be being sold to Real Betis in La Liga in the winter window. Um, so we could have another American abroad in the top five leagues, which would be amazing. Pulisic and Wea are a short-term injury, but Tyler Adams had a surgery on his hamstring recently. He's going to be out for the foreseeable future, and he, he has been out for the recent future as well. When you look at the near-term future of this team before Tyler Adams gets back healthy, is it just going to be better no matter who we play, whether it's Trinidad and Tobago or you know Ghana and Germany, that we don't play with the six and we just get our best 11 on the field? Or is it still really important for us, do you think, to find that six backup to Tyler Adams? I don't no it's it's a hard
1: question to answer especially considering we're kind of we're at the last national team window of the year um so we don't have a window in december we have presumably camp cupcake in january there's no february window so we have three months without a window and you almost feel like this is a time to get healthy and just worry about qualification i almost would rather see us play without a six at least until we're up so many goals that it just doesn't matter anymore which i I assume will happen at some point in both of these games. Um, But I do like giving Johnny and Maloney more minutes just to see what they can do. If we are going to run with Johnny, I would rather see him as an in the double pivot just to see what he can do as an eight more than a six because I think his skills translate there a little better than Maloney's.
0: I mean, he's got the Brazilian flair. (laughs) He can, Uh. uh, you know, turn on a dime. And although he is a defensive player, he's, he's still got that ability to connect the defense and attack. So we go into the other midfielders. Um, we basically know everyone on this in this midfield, except for Paxton Aronson, who we've seen once with the national team and not when Brendan Aronson, his brother, was with the team. So, Tom, what do you make of this midfield that is rounded out by Luca de la Torre, Weston McKinney, um, Yunus Musa, Gio Reyna, and Malik Tillman, also listed as midfielders?
1: I, you know, I can't help but really like this group. You have your solidified 8s, you have McKenny. you have Delatorre. you have Musa. I think Musa and McKenny are preferred with Delatory. Cor- is probably, you know, first off the bench for whoever of them's coming out. Um, you have Reina's probably your starting central attacker with uh uh Tillin Kadaviz as number one backup. Although, I'd be interested to see what Tillin does on the wing this window. I don't know about you. I feel like this is the window to try it.
0: Let's talk about that because the two players that are out with short-term injuries are wingers. Um, <laughs> we we already mentioned like this. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> Our other wingers are Brendan Aronson, who is in horrible form. Uh, I, I would almost say like Kevin Paredes to me is ahead of him on my personal depth chart uh, in terms of starting 11. Like it's very possible that we could go into this game starting Kevin Paredes and Brendan Aronson on the wings or, uh Alex Zendejas who has been scoring a lot in um in Mexico but he's been he was horrible like probably one of the worst players that I've seen on the U.S. for three or four years and like I say that not to put a spotlight on him because he's obviously shown with his club team that that's not who he is like we need to get uncomfortable we need that type of player we need someone with a deadly left foot in our attack so that's not to take anything away from Zendejas it's more just like he had, he had some type of Timothy Chandler curse put on him when he came to the national team. Um, but Tom, like, for me, maybe Kevin Paredes and Gio Reyna are, or Malik Tillman are the better like left-wing, right-wing pairing rather than playing an out-of-form Brendan Aronson, rather than playing an Alex House that hasn't looked good in a U.S. jersey. Um, I think, for me, Paredes, left-wing, Malik Tillman, right wing, is my preferred in the starting 11. What about you? I agree, although I don't think Burhalter does. I think that's probably my.
1: What's he going to do? It's going to be Paredes and Brendan Aronson, I think. I, I think I've been trying to game out the the, the winger depth chart, and 1A and 1B are clearly pulling a second away. It's, it's insane to think that they wouldn't be. Um, but I think Brendan Aronson has gotten basically every single first off the bench minute available under Burhalter 2. And Paredes has been coming in as second off the bench. So I think that they're pretty much the next met up right now with Zendejas as a distance fourth. And we haven't seen Tillman healthy enough to know where he fits into that. And Brahalter has mentioned maybe he throw Pax and Aronson in there as a winger too. So I, I, I would just like to see Tillman just to see what he can do out there. He's done it before for club. We've seen him in Scotland. Like, he can clearly do
0: that role. He scored for PSV this weekend. Yeah. Assisted by Serginio Des, by the way. <laughs> But yeah, like Paxton Aronson is listed as midfielder here. but I also thought interesting in the press conference after the roster release, um, Greg, Greg didn't say he was like Christian Pulisic, but he said the U.S. staff sees Paxton Aronson as a similar player to Pulisic in the sense that he's a winger that likes to get into the box late, um, arrive late and find the, the dangerous balls to score. Um, so I know there was like kind of a quote, out of context, that said, we see uh, Paxton Aronson the same as Christian Pulisic. I don't think that's necessarily what he was talking about. Hearing that real time, what he really was saying is that Paxton Aronson is a player that likes to arrive late in the box and find those dangerous balls. Um, so we might, you're right, we might see Paxton Aronson in, in a winger role. Um, and as light as we are in the step chart, there uh, there is consensus around Timothy Way and Christian Pulisic being 1A and 1B. I would... I would be very surprised if there's any consensus between the fan base and Greg Berhalter and the fan base with the fan base of who 2A <laughs> and 2B are. Yeah. No, I
1: I think right now in Berhalter's mind, it's Brendan Harrison and Kevin Paredes, but, you know, Brendan Harrison's incumbency status is only going to go so far when you're getting 10 minutes a game in Europe. Like, Berlin yeah. has been And also, not good minutes. No, <laughs> Berlin has been so bad this year. Like, this is... I, we cannot under, overstate how bad this season is going for them
0: and Aaronson specifically. <laughs> if, if he didn't have the season that he had at Leeds the previous year, I'd feel so much better about where he is in his development. Um, and I don't know if you remember this, this is probably like 18 months ago. Um, but I remember a podcast that we did where I was talking about how Brendan Aronson at every step of the way from the union to Salzburg and then getting to Leeds he has always surprised me in just his ability to raise his level and like prove everyone wrong i feel like that hasn't necessarily regressed because i i don't know if he's a very different player than he was 18 months ago but he has kind of failed some of the tests in terms of like getting to the next level and continuing that ascendancy that he was on such like a, a high with um So yeah, it is definitely concerning to me with Brendan Aronson for what he's done this season, but also that lead season can't really be overlooked for what it means in the the full scope of his career and development. Yeah,
1: I think that Brendan Aronson has just got to find a way to put some balls in the back of the net in Europe at all. He's only scored, what, one professional goal since leaving Salzburg?
0: It was very early on
1: in the leads. yeah, he stole the ball off of Mendy's foot and put it in, and that's the only goal he scored in the last two seasons. Like uh, he...
0: that, that Leeds Chelsea game will uh, will forever live in infamy for and American fools, fans. The most fools gold game we've Seriously. ever seen. <laughs> I I think at that point uh, Leeds were like two two wins in two games. They were uh, second or third in the table. Jesse Marsh just crushed. Chelsea, at Chelsea, 3 nothing, and everyone was flying high, and then you know the rest of the story. I'm not even going to mention it. I don't um, even want to go back
1: to know what our reaction to that game was, because I guarantee you we said some stuff that has aged poorly.
0: <laughs> yeah. Hopefully I've unlisted it from from the podcast <laughs> at this point. Um, yeah, so, Tom, rounding out this this lineup and this roster and the step chart, we have, I mean, speaking of 1A and 1B, Ricardo Pepe and Fuller and Balogun at striker. This this is the most confident I've been in our number nines in our striker core that I've been in a long time. How are you feeling about Ricardo Pepe and Fuller and Balogun? And we know Balogun is kind of like a a much more bright star in the sky, I would say, for, for where he is and the goals that he scored in Europe so far. But Ricardo Pepe, I mean, he's kind of the person that I thought Aronson would be. Like, he, he really has crushed at every single, like, test that he's had to get to the next level. And he would be playing a lot more minutes for PSV if Luke de Jong, their captain, wasn't also the number nine and a uh, Dutch legend on the team. So what do you see in our striker core? What are your thoughts on this? I, yeah, it's 1B, 1B, and then 1A, one be and then just a hat of everyone else
1: behind them who is just, you know, a giant shrug. Um, we've not seen any of them yet. I'm kind of surprised we haven't seen any of them yet under Berhalter too. I'm kind of wondering who the next name up is when we eventually do see the third name, but uh, as far as Pepe and Baligan go, it's almost the perfect one-two punch. Baligan is so good at getting in behind and making striker runs. Um, And Pepe has just got, he's got that, you know, uh, that rare, rare ability to just always overperform your XG that, you know, we've talked about before is such a rare thing in strikers, but... He just sort of seems to make the most of every single chance, no matter how ridiculously stupid-hearted it is. So, you know, he, he's a great guy to have coming off the bench for Balogun, who I think is probably the starter going forward until he gives reason for Pepe to pass him. So, I, I do think I want to see this window, though. Balogun makes these great runs all the time, and with the exception of the Ghana game, we have never hit those runs. And I want to see Gio Reyna, Malik Tillman whatever winger group we throw at the wall and see what sticks. I want to see them start to play him in behind and spring him in because we could be scoring a lot more goals if we just did that.
0: What, what do you think his thoughts are going to be when he steps onto the field in Trinidad, (laughs) Uh, a a striker that grew up in the Arsenal Academy has scored goals for big clubs. He scored Europa League goals for Arsenal. He's at Monaco now. Um, Competing with Ben Yedder, one of the better French forwards, no matter his domestic violence record. Um, <laughs> what do you think is going to go through Fuller and Baligan's mind when he steps into a real CONCACAF match?
1: I cannot wait to see what that's like, because it's going to be a rude awakening. That fit, At least it's not being played um, in Laracuva, or whatever it is where we played the the infamous game we are going to the the typical Trinidad and Tobago stadium which is not being renovated I think it's Port-au-Prince but uh yeah it's it's gonna be an experience any like anything he's unlike anything he's ever had before which will be fun
0: shades of Geo Reyna uh cringing at the fireworks in Honduras <laughs> El Salvador but yes El Salvador it's be, yes
1: it's gonna be a little bit like except I Central America is a different beast than uh, the Caribbean. The Caribbean, Fair. you know, you don't really have the really w- rabid fans and the, you know, insane stadium. It's more about stadium. the field conditions. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> about the fact that you're playing on a beach, <laughs> essentially. In, um, in a
0: cricket stadium.
1: <laughs> yeah, the, the the fans, all like 500 of them are like, you know, a mile away from you with a track around the field and, you know, you're having to be ferried over a pool of water to get onto the field to warm up. It's yeah. it's It's going to be fun, but yeah, I, I
0: love these CONCACAF away matches. They're, they're of so my favorite parts of following the U.S. men's national team. Me too. I am glad, though, that we have the home match first. We can maybe run up the score a little bit and uh, take it a little bit easier when we go on to whatever that pitch looks like in Port-au-Prince in Trinidad and Tobago. Um, Tom, let's talk about our starting 11s. I mean, Matt Turner pretty much locked in starting yeah. goalkeeper. What's your back line here? I have Robinson, Reem, Richards, and Dest.
1: Okay. No Miles have,
0: Robinson, though.
1: No Miles Robinson. I've got my two best what? passing center backs in there. I've got uh, Richards, who's the athletic, speedy one who can cover the line. And who can step up in the midfield and play some balls to break down what I assume is going to be basically a line of 11
0: in front of the goal. Um, so, yeah. Anyone that's ever been uh, talking about how Tom is not objective and <laughs> is a homer to his Atlanta United players and the MLS players, take a look at that back line <laughs> as proof that he is a goddamn genius. Um, Tom, midfield is, is also up in the air. Like, do we play with the six? Do we play with the double pivot? Is Johnny in that double pivot? Is it Yunus Musa and Weston McKinney? Um, I personally have Weston McKinney, Yunus Musa, and Gio Reyna. As a three in my midfield, who are yours? I, I agree.
1: I have McKenney, Musa, Reyna. I have Musa playing more centrally, almost like a sort of hybrid 6 8. Uh, I have McKenney sort of playing a little bit more advanced and Reyna basically playing with the front line.
0: I mean, we haven't done this a ton with with Greg Berhalter, but I thought when we could have run with like a, a midfield of Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, and Gio Reyna, you can kind of do like a strict 6 8 10. Setup, yeah. where you have one player that's breaking up passes, breaking up um counterattacks. You have the eight that's kind of more box to box, that's Weston McKinney. And then you have Gio Reyna, who's a little bit more creative and allowed to flow throughout the game. Um, but again, this is Greg burhalter we're talking about. He's just started to wade into the waters of having a 10 on the pitch. Um, so I agree with that. And then across the front three, do we like does Greg agree with us that Kevin Paredes is next up or do you think he goes with, with Brendan Aronson here? I have Halter's three as
1: being Paredes, Baligan, and Brendan Aronson. Um, I think I would rather see it
0: be Paredes, Baligan, and Malik Tillman with Brendan Aronson first off the bench. I completely agree with your assessment and not what <laughs> we expect Greg Berhalter to do. What I like about that too is that Malik Tillman and Gio Reyna I think, are better creative attackers in the center of the pitch, but if you have both of them on the field at the same time, and one of them is playing off the right, they can kind of interchange when they need to. Um, yeah. They can lose their defender. They can lose their mark. And I think that that sets us really nicely, where, as if you have Brendan Aronson, I feel like he's not necessarily the same type of player, although he has played as kind of an 8-10 for us in the past. Um, mm-hmm. It feels like he's he sticks a little bit more to his position. So... With that, with that starting eleven, with the one that we've laid out for you, um, what is your expectation for these games against Trinidad and Tobago to qualify for the Copa America next year?
1: I expect it to be, you know, camped out on the edge of their box, just sort of breaking them down, scoring goals the entire time. I kind of want to see us play the old Burhalter front five attacking style. I don't know if we've, we've talked about it before on here, but I, if we're going to run Tillman, I would rather, I would like to see Anthony Robinson kind of playing as like an outside left wing with Tillman, Balogun and Reyna across the front, like three, and then uh Perez wide right, and then McKenny Musa and Dess is like your men, midfield three shuttling the ball around. I, I've yeah. got it set up very, very attacking here on <laughs> my nose.
0: I, I think that works really well and um for as much stick as Greg Berhalter gets for his in-game management. I mean that is essentially the formation that Arsenal and Manchester City play now is having those two center backs and and pushing everyone up forward where you're almost playing like a two, two, three, three. Um, Let me make sure that, yeah, that checks out. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Like a two, two, three, three, where your full backs are really high up the pitch. They're supporting the attack. And especially when you expect to have a lot of the ball, which we will in this game, I think that can work out really nicely for us. So Junior especially just is in such great form and the Triumvirate of PSV players. I mean, yeah, again, 12 wins in 12 matches. Um, Malik Tillman and Sergio Dest have been getting plenty of playing time. Ricardo Pepe, I would love to see him, but I do agree with you. I think Fuller and Balogun is going to be the starter for the US and probably deserves to be a little bit more than Ricardo Pepe at this point. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, I think that that's it's a good
1: team and it's gonna be fun to watch. This is not a game that I expect to be close. And so, you know, these games where you put in a billion goals and you get to see your, the guys really just having fun, it just, they're a good
0: time. Yeah, man. All right. Thursday night, the U.S. first, Trinidad and Tobago in Austin, Texas. Lots of other stuff going on in the U.S. soccer verse. The U 17s won their first match against South Korea 3 1. This morning, a 15 year old from Charlotte FC had a brace. Um, what else? youngest
1: player since Freddie Adu to represent
0: the U.S. at the U 17s. Crazy. Hey, man. Don't jinx this guy. Please don't jinx this guy. (laughs) Um, I I watched that full game. He honestly reminded me of just like, he reminded me of a forward that played like Darlington Nagby. Like his first touch and his tight dribbling in in defender space was awesome to see. And uh, yeah, (laughs) I had never heard of him before this game. Yeah. (laughs) I, I can't wait to see him in person next year um,
1: when uh, Chad Duke FC inevitably goes to MLS Next Pro and uh, gets to play a lot of these really young, talented MLS players. Um, there you go. But, yeah, um, I, I think that the comparison to Darlington-Nagby is funny for a player who scored two goals. Just I, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Darlington-Nagby heat nap meme, where, you know, in the middle of the third of the field, he, like, is literally Iniesta, and then the closer you get to goal, the, the more horrible he gets.
0: I will never forget his Portland Timbers volley goal. And that's how I will choose to remember. Um,
1: oh, he, he's, he's amazing.
0: Maybe as ignorantly. long as you don't put him into
1: the box, <laughs> you know, yeah, you true. know the, the the 2020 MLS cup goal where he volleyed the ball to himself and then hit a volley from like 35 yards of score. He's amazing. And he's yeah,
0: out not in the box.
1: <laughs> nah, just, just don't put him anywhere near the 18. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. There we go. Well, maybe if a Darlington Nagby regen, could also shoot <laughs> in the box um, and played a little bit further forward. I mean, that'd be a pretty damn good player. Would you be, cre- yeah. It'd be an amazing player. That player would be <laughs> $50 million midfielder. <laughs> yeah, man. Fuller and Balogun. What, what's your last word, Tom? What do you have to say to the people?
1: Oh, uh, um, the most playoffs are going on right now and whatever you feel about the format, it's been really fun to watch. Hope that you get some time to enjoy it. Enjoy the last little bit of local soccer we got for the year and, Hope you guys, you know, holidays are coming up. Hope you guys enjoy your time. I'm going to be grinding a lot, but hope, I enjoy always, you know, coming back to talk about U.S. soccer and hope I get some time out of the grind to keep doing
0: it. We, we've we all missed you watching this, and I've missed you, Tom. Thank you for uh, continuing the It's Called Soccer tradition of blipping on the radar every four or five weeks to, to get together and talk about us soccer the one other thing i do want to say the nwsl championship was last night it was ali krieger versus Megan rapino in both of their last games sadly Megan rapino uh, tore her achilles six minutes in and um gotham took it 2 one it was an insane game crazy game at the very end of the match the uh gotham fc goalkeeper got a red card for a handball outside the box Gotham had already uh, used substitutes in three different changes. So they had to put um, they had to put a field player in goal. Last minute of the game, you have Rose Lavelle taking a free kick. I mean, it was just insane. Gotham held on to win it. Um, and Allie Krieger goes out, a champion in her last match. Amazing, amazing final. And uh, shout out to those two legends of U.S. soccer. Um, very sad in the way that had to end for Megan Rapinoe. I mean, she deserved a little bit better in that last match. And I would have loved to see a full power O.L. Reign take on a full power Gotham, but wasn't meant to be. Allie Krieger, NWSL champion, W League champion, Europe, uh, Champions League champion, and two-time World Cup champion. What a career. That is. Shout out to Ali Krieger. Insane career. Wow. <laughs> insane. All right. That is our episode of It's Called Soccer. I am sure we will be back after the games against Trinidad and Tobago to go over them, review, and react to those. Until next time, we will see you on It's Called Soccer. Peace.
1: See you guys.